please leave your message for nine five. Oh, we don't want to put his phone number on there. Never mind. Doesn't even have his voicemail box set up. All right, why don't you guys start? He just got up. I just got a text. He's up. He's awake. Woo! You guys want to start and then? All right, Zach's getting on now. So you're gonna leave as soon as Zach gets here. I just gotta make sure Allison's having a great day. I'm sure she is. Zach, this was your big shining moment, and you. Are you enjoying this, Chris? You are. You're liking this. Don't contribute whatever you're doing. Just sit there. <laughs> oh, Zach's here. Now. I heard Zach laugh. Hi, Zachary. Hello. Oh, I had a long day yesterday. You did. You did. And, and uh, you being here is appreciated. Yeah, yeah we got back in at like 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> it was brutal. I'm so sunburnt, too. Welcome to On The Bench. I am Josh Newberg. I'm going to host the first half of this show. I have Zach Blostein here with me. And then in the second half, we're going to do more of a spring preview. I'm going to have Zach on to talk recruiting specifically. And then I'm going to hand it off to Brendan. And him and Chris Nee are going to talk spring practice, which starts tomorrow. So big preview on that. Um, But first, Zach, welcome to On The Bench. It's been a minute since you've been on here. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. And it it definitely sounds like you're excited. <laughs> the reason that I wanted to have you on and we we wanted to have you on is because you were down in Miami yesterday at the Under Armour All-American Camp. Um, it's a series of camps that's kind of been touring the country. This was their only stop in Florida. Um, it was in South Florida. Where was it held? How many recruits showed up? Yeah, so it was held at um, Ives Estates Park, which is like in like North Miami area, kind of near like Aventura. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like Under Armour in the past has held it at like, um, I think it was North Broward Prep, which is like uh, like in, more in my area. But this year they changed it to Ives Estates Park and it was actually a really good setup. Like um, they had a ton of kids come, probably close to like, I don't know, 200 kids or mm-hmm. 150 um and it was really good setup surprisingly with you know COVID and all that we were able to um like there was a there was a gate and all the kids were funneling through there and then there was another side of the gate where after like awards and stuff they split up the awards um by position group so like Mm -hmm. each each time um a position position group ended with their awards we were able to just get them for interviews after that so it it was a really good setup surprisingly and um yeah, and you know, with with that many kids coming, with all the COVID restrictions and stuff, I think they did a pretty good job. Last year, I was at the Under Armour camp. I think it was like damn near a year ago to the day, because about a week later, everything shut down for COVID. So the Under Armour camp was the last camp that I've been able to attend publicly since the shutdown. And when I was at Under Armour, um, talking to kids, it was coming off. Um, of the Willie Taggart era, Mike Norvell hadn't started his his tenure. Well, he started his tenure, but hadn't played any games yet. And when I was at Under Armour, the vibe from recruits just wasn't there. Like, 
I sat in on a lot of big time interviews just to listen to see what they said. And not a lot of kids were mentioning Florida State. You almost had to prompt them. And and when you mentioned Florida State, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm hearing from, you know, Coach So-and-so. But this year, the, the Florida State momentum's kind of shifted. What was your feeling of talking to recruits before the camp began on Sunday? Yeah, I, de- I definitely remember you talking about that and like me being like, wow, like Florida State really isn't like in the national relevance back then. Um, but I definitely think things have shifted this this cycle. Um, I talked to probably 20 plus kids on, you know, on and off the record. And I, it was really, I didn't really didn't have to do any reaching or um, digging to get Florida state involved in the interview. Like, like you, like you were saying, and a lot of kids mentioned Florida state off the bat. Um, you know, they're, they were excited about, you know, what, what's been going on recently on the recruiting trail for Florida state. A lot of them mentioned, the recent momentum as something that, you know, spiked their interest. And um, a lot of kids just like the staff in general. And Coach Norvell seems to be involved in, you know, a lot of these kids' recruitment, which is just, um, you know, obviously great when the head coach gets involved. And I think, like, I don't know. I I, I interviewed a lot of kids, and um, Mm -hmm. most of them mentioned Florida State without me having to bring it up. So that, that was definitely, you know, something that I was, like, looking for on the day because I remember you saying that like saying that what what is it like a year ago and I definitely do think that things have shifted especially in the 2023 class because um you know there's been a lot of like buzz on Twitter and just with all those kids and I think I think it's actually you know tangible and you can you can see it with these kids they're actually excited about Florida State yeah they they believe um whether or not that belief will still be there a year from now still depends on what Florida state does on the football field. But right now they're buying in and I've seen it come full circle because one of the interviews that stands out to me specifically was when I interviewed and was in the scrum of, there was like four or five reporters interviewing Sam McCall last year at this camp. And Sam McCall really didn't mention Florida state by name until I specifically asked. And, you know, here we are, Sam McCall is now committed to Florida State, <laughs> helping Florida State recruit um, other elite athletes. And Florida State is starting to open some eyes. It's not just, you know, two or three recruits that that are talented. Their whole commit list is stacked. And one of the prospects that has been getting a lot of talk this offseason is Nigel e. Kelly. He's a Florida State commitment on the defensive line. You were able to see him in person. Did he work out at this event? Oh yeah, did he work out? Was an understanding. He 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 dominated the event um, from start to finish. He was you know really exceptional in drills. I got a video of him running the forty on my Twitter, and it was pretty quick, even with all the um, you know heavy Under Armour stuff that they were giving him. And uh, in one-on-one drills, he was just unstoppable. He um, I recorded two clips of him just you know giving this offensive lineman. Um, the work and I and he was just yeah he, I think two four seven named him the alpha dog at the camp and our top performer um, uh, story with like uh, I think Andrew Ivans posted it but yeah man he he he's the real deal and I think Florida State's gonna have um, you know they're gonna have their hands full with just trying to keep him in this class because I I'm pretty sure he's just gonna just start becoming more and more of a national recruit. I heard Ohio State, Ohio State might get on in, get in on him, um, and I know Florida and Miami are already trying to uh, um, flip him. And I think 
I think he's kind of open to, you know, hearing from other schools. That doesn't mean he's not, you know, still committed to Florida State. I just think that with COVID and all that, um, him and his mother are kind of listening in on what these schools are saying. And and it's going to be tough for Florida State to to hold on to him. But he's definitely the real deal from what I saw um, yesterday. Is he a five-star potential? I think so. I mean, maybe not five-star, but maybe right outside that five-star range is where I like him. Like, I, I just think he's going to keep moving up. I know you said, and I think Alabama's a team in there. He's getting some national yep. attention, some real love from Ohio State and some of these other places. But ultimately, do you think it's a big three battle? I think so. Seems like It seems like it's going to turn out that way. I, I just I think he'll stay in state just because um, I think his mom's going to want to see him play. So, um, But, yeah, I think Florida and Miami are – pushing really, really hard for this kid. Another top performer, uh, Julian Armella. He's an offensive yep. tackle from Fort La- from Miami, I should say, uh, is now at Columbus High School. And Armella spoke to you before the camp began. He's got his top seven. He's kind of standing on his top seven. He says, until visits open up, I'm not going to really adjust this top seven. FSU's in there. Um, I spoke to a source over the weekend um, close to Florida State, and they tell me that they don't expect Armella to to inform FSU of his decision until signing day. So this one's a, a way far off um, yeah. example of a recruitment. But in terms, Armella worked out. Is he a true tackle? Yeah. Do you think he's a guard? What do you where do you project him on the next level? I think that he can play both. Um, if you ask me a year ago, I would say guard. Um, because he came to the Under Armour camp a year ago at 320 pounds and, you know, kind of looked a little bit sloppy for, you know, your typical tackle um, spot. He's now 285 pounds and he looks like an elite tackle. Like he, he was the first recruit I saw out there. And I, I, I didn't even know it was him just because the last time I saw him, he looked, his body looked completely different. So he remodeled his body completely. And, he looks like, you know, an SEC elite tackle prospect that you like a, a prototypical um, uh, offensive tackle at the college level. And I, I, I think that he can play tackle le- legitimately. And from what I saw out there, he was just a physical presence, um, especially in one on ones. I got a clip of him just pancaking. I think it was one of the top DT, uh, defensive tackles there and um daniel lyons but yeah man he he looked he looked legit out there linebacker is a big position of need as well for florida state this year and one guy that's in the Knowles 24 7 top 10 most wanted and was also out at the ua camp was wesley basaint from miami central um the outside linebacker i know he's great in coverage he can run um what were what were your thoughts of seeing him in person just size wise yeah, I mean, I guess like some people might um, consider him short, but uh, he he was lined up against some other you know highly rated um, linebackers, and he he looked he looked the part. I mean, that's the first time I've ever seen him in person, and I think like you said, like he's excellent in coverage. Like he's like one of the best. He was one of the best you know coverage linebackers at the camp, and there were a lot of top guys there. Um, when I talked to him. He, he raved about Florida State, I think, mm-hmm. even, even more than any of the other um, prospects there. 
the linebacker prospects. And I and I think it's like an you know it's obviously an FSU Miami battle right now. But he he likes Florida State a lot, and he likes Coach Marv. And um, you know, I think he can be a good outside linebacker for them or wherever they like him in their defense. I think he he mentioned the outside spot. I just think that um, he could he he could fit in that defense. Like I don't think he's like too much of a tweener because like I know they want guys that specifically fit that role, which mm-hmm. is like tough to find like a coverage linebacker. And I think he 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 can manage and he he'll um, like that. That's probably the biggest strength of his game. Offensive tackle, another Miami Central prospect. Offensive tackle, Daughtry Richardson was there. I have Richardson crystal ball to Florida State. Did you hear anything on the field over the weekend that would lead you to believe that I could be wrong? Or would you stick with that crystal ball? No, I I, I think I would, you know, you should stick with that crystal ball. Double down I'm not ready to put one in just because I, I don't know how imminent his decision is. And I just, I like... I think a lot of things, a lot of things could change um, until when he decides. But yeah, I mean, I think Florida State is still the leader in his recruitment. I'm just interested to see, you know, when he decides to shut things down. Right. Um, sticking to 2022, was there any other guys that you spoke to that were really high on Florida State? Um. Yeah, uh, four-star running back Jalen Glover out of Lake Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, he pulled up with an FSU bag and I talked to him, you know, like right at the start and he, he was really high on Florida state, especially um, FSU OC Kenny Dillingham. He talks to Dillingham, um, coach Yak, David Johnson uh, and coach Norbell as well. And they're really pushing for him. Um, I think that he's their top guy in state for sure this this um cycle and it's not a huge running back year in state but he's a good he's a good player and i think um he he was exceptional in in one-on-ones when they were doing like the uh running back versus linebacker um drills and i he was he was he was scooting behind these linebackers that were pretty good in coverage and i think the only thing is like he had a couple drops but um they were raving about his ability out there um, the coaches and as well as our analysts. So, yeah, he was another guy that was really high on Florida State when I talked yeah, to him. I got I got a question. the The defensive linemen from Homestead look really good this year. Dante Anderson, the defensive end, and defensive tackle Daniel Lyons. Does Florida State yeah. can they crack? Can they get into Homestead this year? Um, I think more with Daniel Lyons they can get in um, compared to with Dante Anderson. Um. With Daniel Lyons, I spoke to him and mm-hmm. he he raved about Odell Higgins. And, you know, like when Odell likes the guy and like you could tell that Odell, that's like Odell's recruitment right there. Like that that's just, you know, good news for Florida State fans. Like I think he really likes Odell. Um he's like he he's like, yeah, he's like a grandfather to me. So like I don't know. I, I, when when I talked to him, Florida State was literally the first school um he named like as schools that were in it for him, which is like a good sign, obviously. And with Dante Anderson, I think there's a long way to go in his recruitment because I think a lot of schools are seeing how he develops because right now he looks very, um, like he, he looks like he could develop into de- like a weak side end, but he he's he's very thin. I think he's, he's going to need to grow a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We have him listed so, at 6'3", 205 right now. Yeah. 
he might be he might be skinnier than that. He he looks like a receiver prospect a little bit. He, he's yeah. quick off the edge. Don't get me wrong, but he he's got some growing to do, and I think a lot of schools are probably waiting to see him in person. Okay, I just want to uh, give you a minute to talk about twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. Let's just, we, we went in depth on Knowles 24 seven fans can go to the live thread or the message board and find out more, but just off the top, who are some young prospects that FSU fans, their names need to be known now? Yeah. I mean, obviously I would say, um, 2023, uh, five star and the number one receiver in the country, Brendan Innes. Mm. Um, he was out there and I, I've never been to an event where he doesn't dominate. Like, it, it's just insane. I've been covering him for probably ever since I started at 24 seven. Um, he's been a guy that's just, he's always been on like, he, he plays for South Florida express the seven on seven team. I've always seen him um, at every tournament I've been to. He doesn't miss any tournament and he just, he just shows out every time. So he's definitely a guy. I, t- I spoke to him a little bit and he, um, you know, he, he had high things to say about Florida state. I just think that, that's going to be a tough recruitment because pretty much all the big schools are in on him. Um, another guy of note that I know you talked to um, yesterday was Santana Fleming. Um, he was exceptional in one-on-ones. Like he, he Slot he's wide receiver. Yeah, he's he's a quick, um, shifty receiver who just gets behind the defense, and um, I think he's a legit prospect. And, I, and he he likes Florida State a lot. Um, and he's got ties to Florida State, obviously. So, you know, those two. And then there's a um, a guy from Georgia, Amari Borden, I think is the 20, yeah, 2023 guy from Bainbridge who was mm-hmm. at the event. And he, he showed some um, some signs of, you know, being kind of an elite. I, I don't know if you'd characterize him as a receiver, like a tight end, but he, he, he looked pretty good out there. And I think that's another guy that Florida State has offered and they're in a good position with. Pardon me for not checking your balls before I ask this question, but have you put in any new crystal balls as a resort, as a result of the, this camp? No Florida state crystal balls yet. I put in one for Oregon for a, um, a linebacker prospect called Travis Lathan, um, who Florida state is familiar with, but they weren't really in on Like they weren't pursuing, um, but I, I, that's the only crystal ball I, I've made thus far. I might make more just based on the returns from the camp. Well, you're uh, you're on the bench, so I'll give you the opportunity to put in a show crystal ball if you'd like. Ooh. Um, that's tough. That's tough. I mean, did I put one in for Jalen Glover yet? Show ball. Drop it. <laughs> I'm doing it. Show ball. All right. There you go. All right, Zach. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, you guys can check Zach's workout on Knowles 24-7 anytime. Um, appreciate you. Thanks for covering the camp. I think I'm going to get to uh, Orlando this weekend. There's a Nike QB camp, and um, A.J. Duffy is participating in that. So I'm going to probably head over and watch that. So we'll have more camp coverage coming on Knowles 24-7. I am now going to hand the baton off to Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee, who are going to take us home with some spring preview stuff. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Chris, while they were recording their recruit-centric podcast, you know what happened? What? <laughs> Let me tell you. AJ Duffy followed Travis Hunter on Twitter. <laughs> One day you're going to get follow to follows tattooed on you, aren't you? I mean, it's tried and true. It's not 100% by any means, but you know, it's as good as anything else out there. Do you disagree? Yeah, you do. That's fine. No, no I'm good with it. All right. All right. All right. It helped us a lot with the uh, transfer market. That seemed to be the most indicative uh, during, during all the grad transfers. But anyways, you guys aren't here to listen to me ramble about recruiting. You got all the recruiting juice on the first part of the podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Chris Nee right now. We're here to, to preview FSU's spring practice. It starts on Tuesday. We're recording this here on Monday. Christopher, on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you to be covering this program via Zoom for another two months? Oh, about a one. I'm, I'm way over to Zoom life. I, I hate that we're not going to be able to lay eyes on it. And I get the reasons I'm not complaining, but I yeah. just, I'd much no, prefer to watch it. We want to be there and see what's what's happening. There's good juice around the program right now. There's energy. We want to see that for ourselves. No, and, and we understand it too. Uh, Norvell did kind of, uh, Mike Norvell spoke to the media on Friday. We're going to get into some of the notes and and uh, little details that he dropped uh, on that on that Friday interview here on the show today. But he did kind of say that he was exploring options to get us out there. I would love for us to be able to go out there and watch scrimmages, especially yeah. if it's being held in Doak. I don't understand where that would be problematic from a health standpoint, from a liability standpoint for Florida State, because they're going to let people in to watch the spring game in those same stands. No, I'm waiting on that. I hope they figure something out, but we shall see. We shall see. So uh, I mentioned the energy, Chris. There is a, a a lot of positive energy around Florida State. And I was called out for this, rightfully so, the other day for basically back in January saying, yeah, I'm not going to get too worked up over what guys are doing, you know, running around and and, and half practices and, and throwing around in seven-on-sevens and lifting weights. But but by that time that squat party came around, Chris, I'm I'm ready to be hurt again, buddy. I'm all in. Talk is me out of it. Is something special brewing in Tallahassee? <laughs> it is cool, though. You right? can like, get a hype machine this year. I'm, I'm taking this year off in the hype machine. You've been hurt the most, I think, of any of us. And you usually, like, lay low in the weeds, Chris. And then all of a sudden, like, you just at the very end of camp, you're just like, you're ready for it. You pick the most wins of anyone. Just your FSU love just takes over, and, you, and, it, and it disrupts the logical part of your brain. You're not letting that happen this year? Yeah, that, that, that's a fair assessment of me. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I can live with that. Okay. It, it, it does happen. but Not happening this year, though. I'm changed. I doubt that. Well, remember this podcast today, here in March. Here in- on the Lord's Day. 
I do want to talk about the culture though, real quick. And again, it's tough because we're not in there, but like it, it is cool to see what the guys are doing in the weight room with the results, with the gains. Uh, that's something they missed so much last year. We saw some of that beginning in the winter conditioning drills last year, Chris, but it all stopped abruptly after three spring practices. That's likely not going to happen this time. They seem to have a better grasp. Even though there's like a quarantine period, they're not going to shut everything down uh, for, for an elongated period of time. It doesn't seem like that's where this is headed. So uh, what are your thoughts and what are we hearing? What are you hearing about just what the momentum has been like this offseason, what the staff is feeling? It, it does seem like there is some optimism and that guys are, from where we're looking, uh, our vantage point, guys are buying in. Well, continuity goes a long way. Guys can formulate bad attitudes, but the next day when they walk into the weight room or they walk into the practice setting, it's going to get dismissed. It's not something that's going to be allowed to be prevalent. They're not going to be allowed to be lazy. They're not going to be allowed to kind of fall back on things because there's nobody there keeping them in line, keeping them in form. And that's a massive difference from last year. You know, basically from around this date, March, what, 12th was it when we shut down last year to June, July, they did none of that. There was no form or fashion of that. There wasn't practices. There wasn't weight room. There wasn't player organized run workouts. There was none of it. And even in June and July, it was a very slow ramp up. So you had several months, five, six, seven months of kind of nothingness. And that's just not the way you build a culture. It's not the way you build a team. It's not the way you get a team prepared for a season, especially the first season under a new staff. So that's going to be a massive difference. The spring practice ability to have practices, to install, to have where you work through it, where you have the video, where there's not repercussions for you screwing up because it's not a game setting. It's just a practice setting. That's going to be something that they severely lacked last year and they desperately needed last year. I think in general, just the roster has guys that want to be here and want to play mm-hmm. for the guys that are coaching here. And there's a whole lot of that going on last year. There wasn't near as much. So all of those things are definitely positives. I think it sets a nice foundation for what they're hoping to accomplish here over the next month. You mentioned guys wanting to be here, wanting to play for the staff. I, I think that we can't quantify it. And if we're looking at this, though, for, for reasons to be optimistic, uh, and some of this is obviously hopeful and wishful thinking, but, but having guys who who want to be a part of this program that committed to playing for the staff or or went through this offseason and said, hey, I want to continue playing at Florida State, Florida State and for the staff, I, I think that there's immense value to that, Chris. I don't know how to quantify it, but – uh, this roster is about 60% guys who weren't here uh, two years ago at this point. So Norvell's got then. guys here. Mm-hmm. I thought Josh Storm's comment about the six years guys, essentially, you know, they didn't have to choose us, but now they've chosen us. Mm-hmm. I thought that was saying a good bit. The other thing is somebody pointed out to me that around this time last year on a podcast, I was asked like who I could see entering the portal or leaving. And I said, well, I'm not going to name anybody. And then I named like, seven people and six of the seven, I think, departed the program. I couldn't do that right now, if you ask me. I can't look at that roster and name a bountiful amount of guys I expect to exit stage right. I think that speaks to what this roster was a year ago versus what it is today in the sense of buy-in, interest in being here, desire to play for FSU and for Mike Norvell and his staff. And that's a vast difference. And that all of that last year is completely normal with a staff transition. And it was uh, – amplified for FSU by the fact that they had a roster that was tumultuous. It had some of those guys were on their third staff. A lot of those guys kind of came in with certain promises of what to expect. And that wasn't what they were going to get here. You know, there was a lot of reasons why guys needed to exit stage left. 
I think the fact that they did purge it is probably the best thing they did in the first 12 months of being on the job. Yeah, the purge, I think, ultimately, if Mike Norvell is, is successful here at Florida State, and that's still TBD, there's obviously some some positive signs of with what they're doing on the recruiting trail and some of that buy-in that we're talking about right now. But if, if they are successful, it'll be largely because they flipped their rosters so quickly. I don't know from a talent standpoint, and that's what we're about to get into here as we kind of look at the different positions that FSU has coming in. I don't know if this is a markedly more, you know, quote-unquote talented roster than it was the last couple of years. Uh, but I think better coaching, better development, and again, guys who want to be here are reasons why you can say, okay, this team can start to move in the right direction. So uh, with, with that in mind, Chris, let's get into it and go over some of the positions. Uh, let's start at quarterback. That's the one that everyone wants to focus on, and, and rightfully so, especially this this offseason. Mackenzie Milton, all eyes are on him, his health, how he's doing. We've heard pretty good things about how he looks, big arm. I've said that multiple times on the podcast. Like He's really impressed. People around the program with how he delivers the ball. That's gotten even better throughout his career, and especially in the last year or two since he hasn't been able to uh, to be as mobile and run around as much in just his development. Like He's able to to increase the arm strength and his, his throwing technique. But it's going to be interesting, Chris, with McKenzie, Milton, uh, and the helm and like what he's going to do with this offense. But I don't know. Is it premature to say like he's definitely going to be the guy? I think we both think he probably comes out of the spring as the guy, but I don't. I get the feeling that Jordan Travis and and the other guys aren't going to go quietly. I don't think it's premature to say it. I don't. I don't think Milton comes in here not expecting to start. I don't think FSU pursues Milton if they're not looking for starter material. I think Jordan Travis will still factor into the offense. But let's be honest here. Jordan Travis last year had 13 total touchdowns, six passing, seven rushing. He only threw for 1,000. 1056 yards he also ran for 559 we know he's dynamic we know he's capable but those aren't good offensive numbers fsu has to be better at offense and it starts at the quarterback they need a better engine and a motor jordan travis can still be a factor in everything but i don't think he's a guy and one big thing that was lacking last year and obviously jordan's uh, athleticism his mobility his ability to improvise was so really vitally important to just winning three games. They don't win those three games without his ability to do, to do that thing. So to keep it from being uh, being a bad season, to be just an outright total utter disaster, he at least gives them some of that because of what he could do to help out the offensive lines deficiencies and, and uh, elevate the run game. However, the lack of passing consistency and he got better as the year went on and when he was healthy like that Duke game he threw a couple of his best passes of the year against Duke uh, however like the middle of the field that just wasn't something that was a huge part of his game and I don't know if, if he wasn't comfortable attacking the middle of the field or FSU wasn't comfortable with allowing him to and so most, most of the designs were to the perimeter or deep shots uh, but McKenzie Milton's going to be able to and I think that's what we're going to see this offense in the in the mind of what Mike Norvell and, and Kenny Dillingham want it to be uh, in, in their respective minds. I, I think they want that RPO game and, and the quick passing over the middle to be a part of it. McKenzie Milton does it at an incredibly high level. So I think that's something I'm going to focus on this spring is, is how the offense and then spe- specifically the passing game is, is running, uh, how efficient it is under, under Milton. All right, let's see. Let's move on to running back here, Christopher. The, the big, the big name is Jay Sean Corbin uh, based on the, the offseason hype so far, right? What, what did he squat the other day, like 525? Yeah, and he was called a star of the offseason program. I believe that was by uh, Josh Storms. He was also praised by Mike Norvell when they were talking to the offseason program. I think we saw last year that Corbin's Mr. Reliable for them in that room, that they believe in him. 
One, they think he's a good leader. Two, they think he's a productive player. Three, they know he's going to put in the work that it takes to get on the field and do what he needs to do on Saturday. That group's going to be interesting because who's going to be the number two to him? Is it going to be LT, Lawrence Toa Philly, who we saw some stuff from last year? You know, LaDamian Webb's gone, so who kind of steps into that role? Ja'Kai Douglas is probably moving from that role to more prominently a wide receiver role. So how is it all going to play out? I think it's going to be Corbin and Toa Philly, one, two. That's what I'm expecting going in. I think that's a nice little mix of guys. I still don't know if they have the back that completely changes the scoreboard for them. I think DJ Williams being an addition there is another guy who kind of in the similar mold to Corbin can be a little bit more of a banger, earn some tough yards, do some things, and definitely help you if you want to try to wear down a team, carry it enough to wear down the opponent and bang them a lot between the tackles in the middle of the field. Yeah, if there is going to be that home run guy, I think it's going to come in one of two places. Chris is either BJ Sean Corbin being more explosive uh, now, another year removed from the hamstring injury at Texas A&M back in uh, 2019, early in the season. And Norvell talked about that the other day when he was when he was was frankly gushing about Jay Sean Corbin in the offseason that he's had, basically saying that you know he was still a year, and even though he was in good shape, he was a year removed from that injury. His wasn't quite as explosive himself. We saw that somewhat at the end of the year where he started to break off longer runs, be a little bit more twitchy, uh, be more than just that quote-unquote you know, Mr. Dependable that you said, Chris. He was a little bit more than that. Does he take the next step as he's further removed from the injury? That's a storyline for sure to watch. The other guy, I, I think if there is a chance to be a, uh, a home run hitter, it's going to be Lawrence Philly, uh, and whether he consistently – packs on you know, positive weight and keeps up that athleticism because that, that little dead leg step uh, step move that he has is really special. The ability to accelerate and the agility, those are all there. He's just thin right now. He's six foot, hundred. I think he was 180 pounds last year. He's up to 185 now. So he's starting to add that a little bit, but ideally I think you got want him to be at, at six foot uh, to be 195, 200. So we got to see if he can continue to develop physically while not losing some of that special athleticism. Um, Corey Wren is another guy I want to keep an eye on, at least Chris, because he was dealing with a couple different injuries last year, from my understanding. So, uh, you know, he's a speedy guy and you got to find ways to get him the football, hopefully too, but good running back room. I, I like it. Um, yeah, I like the group component overall. Like you said, I think the big storyline is whether a true number one explosive guy, like the guys that, that Norvell had at Memphis, whether it was, uh, Henderson or, or Kenny Gainwell, um, whether those guys you know, kind of emerge for this offense, that'd be huge. Uh, moving to tight end. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, real quick on running back. I think it will be interesting to see how Jordan Travis factors into the idea of running the ball, not as a running back, but as running the ball, because we know he's by far the quickest guy on that offense. And he's explosive. When you turn in 60, 70 yard runs and you're capable of that, you got to find a way to infuse that in some form or fashion in the offense. So I think that's kind of the curveball they can throw at running back to have a guy that can light up the scoreboard. But I don't think they're going to move him in running back. I People have asked, do you think he's moving from quarterback? I don't expect him to move from quarterback. I do expect him to do other things within, within the offense. I view him more as a quarterback who's an offensive athlete. Mm-hmm. I, I was good. It's funny you mentioned him. I was going to talk about that role for him in the wide receiver category, but I think it's all going to be uh, offensive weapon, maybe is how we describe it then. Uh, because he's probably think back to the Miami game in that first series that they had, uh, they had him in the slot. They had him motioning in to be a quarterback or running back. I think, you know, if Jordan Travis does not win a starting job and I'm with you, Chris, I do think it's McKenzie Milton for the aforementioned reasons with what he could do as a passer, as a leader, again, assuming that he's hundred percent, you got to find ways to get Jordan Travis on the field. So yeah, whether it's that running back, whether it's that slot wide receiver, whether it's that quarterback for a couple of series, just to mix things up, uh, 
you have to sell him on that too, though, right? Like that's also a part of the thing is, is he's someone who, who did spark the offense last year and prove that he at least has a chance to compete to be a starting quarterback in the ACC. He has to improve on things, but you're going to have to sell him on, hey, you're not going to be the starter this year. You're going to be an offensive weapon. you got to get him to buy into that. That's going to be a, a balancing act, I think. Yeah, and I think that comes after the competition. Sure. Sure, you don't start doing it now. Um, and you're, again, Chris, I want to throw this out there because you mentioned it about two weeks ago or so on the podcast. You're a proponent of exiting the spring with a quarterback, a starting quarterback with QB1 in mind, correct? Like you, you want an announcement. You want an announcement. I, which that shocked me. I, 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 I it's just it's been so long since we've had in, that. You go into those summer months. One, what you're defined. This is a quarterback. He's our leader. Two, if a guy wants to depart that room because he's not going to be the guy, then he's gone. Let him go do it. You know, let him make that choice. Don't kind of bait him along and get him enrolled for the fall and then do it to him. And three, I just think it benefits you as a whole because it allows you to go into those months of planning between the end of spring ball and the beginning of the preseason of this is what your role is going to be. This is, And this kind of leans on Travis. Your role, you're still going to have, even if you're not the starting quarterback for Florida State football this coming season, you're going to have a prominent role in what we're going to try to accomplish as an offense and as a team, and we want you to be part of that. And I think that's kind of an important thing to make abundantly clear from the word go presuming Milton does what we expect, or at least what I expect to earn a starting quarterback role. All right, let's get to tight end here. Cameron McDonald, I think we both assume, right, Chris, he's tight end one. He's probably the guy who showed some nice things last year. He's probably the guy. Okay. So that takes us to tight end two, which is an important position within this offense. Mike Norvell wants to run two tight end sets. What probably like 10, 15% of the time, maybe even a little bit more than that. Uh, but but it's going to be something that's going to be a consistent part of his offense from week to week. Who steps up as tight end two? Uh, that's going to be interesting. I think the spring is going to be kind of revealing for that. Jordan Wilson will not be 100%. He'll be limited. We've reported that multiple times here on Knowles 24-7 and on the bench. So not a huge surprise. He had an Achilles injury that can take a full year to recover from. And he did that in, I think, August. It was in early on in fall camp. Maybe even, even been the first day. So, Chris, let's look at the other guys who are kind of uh, on the roster right now. Wyatt Rector. Uh, Carter Boatwright, Marcuson Douglas, and uh, oh, oh, Preston Daniel. I don't have him. I'm just looking at my scholarship list, and, and Preston is Jackson. not on scholarship. And then Jackson West, the true freshman. Who uh, are you ready to go all in? Are you moving all your your infatuation with Carter Boatwright and taking it to Jackson West? You are. Don't don't say otherwise. Uh, yeah, I, I might as well. <laughs> yes, I love tight end. You know how I operate. I, I think Jordan Wilson is tight end too. At the end of the day, he's a blocker. He's a guy that adds that dynamic. He frees up Cam McDonald to be more of a flex. He essentially provides a six offensive lineman who can also catch the ball if necessary in the offense. But in the spring, I think Jackson West is a guy that's going to push a guy like Wyatt Rector, a guy like Preston Daniel, who currently are more embedded as number two for FSU. But in, at the end, I think it's going to be McDonald, Wilson, and then you're going to have three guys you can rely on after them to roll out there. But I think Jackson West is going to do a fair amount of stuff for a freshman, a true freshman out of high school at tight end. Similar to what Preston Daniel truthfully did last year, but we all know Daniel got pushed into that role because of the injury to Jordan Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with White Rector, they weren't he had never played tight end before, so you could tell they weren't super confident playing him there until like the end of the season at tight end too. Yeah, um, but- He's a guy they love for special teams. He's on all four units as a starter, and he's a guy that they know has a work ethic to make himself into the best player he could possibly be, and there's value within that too. And I think based just based on skill set, probably Rector is the closest at 
resemblance to Cam is someone you can move around a little bit and put him in the slot and has decent hands and, and good athleticism. So uh, ideally you can kind of spell Cam McDonald a little bit or allow him, you know, get both receiving threats on the field at one time. That would be big if, if White Rector develops to be that guy who gives you that confidence. Uh, but, but if not him, uh, Preston Daniel is up to what, like 250 now? Uh, that's up almost 15 pounds from when he first got here. He's turning into a blocking tight end. I think ultimately what they want him to be. And that's kind of the Jordan Wilson role as well. Jackson West is the wild card maybe though of the, the group, Chris, because like you said, he he's very talented. Uh, and you know, when you asked, you asked Norvell about him the other day because Mike Norvell basically forgot because he talked about five freshmen and Rollies and you asked him about Jackson West. Norvell kind of laughed at it. And it's like, oh, yeah, Jackson West. And then went on like a really long answer about him. I think he just forgot that Jackson West was a freshman because he's so mature. It's pretty clear he definitely likes him. In general, he seems to like the freshman. But Jackson West, I think, is a guy who – I think Jackson West has a lot of things going his way. One, his demeanor is just unique for a kid coming out of high school who's a high-end recruit, kid that gets recruited by the level of FSU. Two, he's got a hell of a work ethic. You don't walk in at 245 and really in shape by not being a kid that's committed to what you're doing, your craft. So I think those two things instantaneously went over to coach. Plus, I think he fits what they want at tight end. He's a guy who is a capable blocker who can be downright mean as a blocker, but he's also a very capable receiver who can get down the field and do some things. So he has a nice mix. I think he's maybe the first tight end they've been able to recruit that fits the entire mold. Let's look at wide receiver now, Chris. This is, to me, one of the bigger, as far as the total position group, kind of the bigger question marks with this roster heading into spring. Now, this is obviously before Andrew Parchman arrives, before Destin Hill arrived. They won't be here until, I think, May. Uh, Definitely May for Parchman, I assume, around that time for for Destin Hill. Uh, The passing game just wasn't very good last year. Uh, Some of that was, again, Jordan Travis was still developing into being a confident quarterback, confident passer. We saw some signs of that, but he didn't get a ton of help from the wide receivers at all, especially especially when Tamori and Terry uh, exited the program. It just, frankly, man, it just wasn't very good. So uh, help me out here. What's the reason for optimism? Uh, What are we looking at this spring at the position group? I don't want to say that there's really a reason for optimism. I think that's a position that has a heck of a lot to prove. I mean, Pokey Wilson returns. He was your leading receiver with 30 for 382 and two touchdowns. You had, I think, four or five guys each with two touchdowns leading the team in that regard. Uh, You know, Cam McDonald, truthfully, is the second best receiving player they have returning. He had 23 for 263 last year. He also had two touchdowns. Now, are there some wild cards there? Yeah, heck yeah. I think a guy like Brian Robinson certainly is one that I would point out. You know, what kind of progress has Tron made? He's an outside guy. He got a little bit of burn last year. Six games, had four receptions. Didn't do much, but maybe he could do it. Jordan Young is another wild card, a guy that, you know, we kind of waited for him to come along. And at this point, we don't know if he's going to. He only had seven catches for 85 yards last year. Maybe he does, and that's a huge piece if that happens. But if he doesn't, then, well, he's going to be buried because a guy like Destin Hill is going to walk in here in August and take a starting job. I think the hope by the staff, more than anything, is one, that they've recruited well at the position, got guys that can win one-on-one battles because FSU was dreadful at that a season ago. I think, two, the hope is that Destin Hill does walk in, Parchment walks in, a transfer that's enrolling later in the year, and that one of the two of McLean and Burrell, or even both, emerges well enough to be a starter or at least a two-deep type player. And there you instantaneously have three to four new players to interject into that position with a guy like maybe Wilson, a Keyshawn Helton, who you hope is a 
little bit back more to his old form pre-injury, not the 14-catch, 119-two-touchdown guy that he was last year. And then your next guy up is probably, you know, Cam McDonald at tight end as a receiver. But I don't see a reason to think receiver is, at least from a spring perspective, going to make a big leap. I think that's a position that two of the better players that will be part of it next year aren't going to get here till later in the year. More than likely. I would say, though, Chris, like if we are looking for the optimism, uh, it does lie totally, and you, and you alluded to this, in the freshman with Josh Burrell and Malik McClain. I think those are the the two guys that you just really hope and, and maybe even – I'll say this. After watching Joshua Burrell squat whatever, what was it, 525, like that's a, a strong dude for to be a true freshman wide receiver. And then we know what Malik McClain offers with his size and speed on the perimeter – I think one of those two guys, I'm confident that you get something out of one of them beginning this spring. We, we've heard a lot about how mature they are, seeming like guys who are ready to contribute day one. If you get one of those two in position, I, I think you look pretty good going into the summer. But that's a big, big position battle for me is like who kind of develops as a guy that that you can kind of believe in a little bit exiting the spring. I think one of those freshmen are probably it. All right, last position on offense, offensive line. Chris, I got 15 scholarship guys here right now. Well, the Rodower hasn't hasn't enrolled yet, but they got numbers. They got numbers. Uh, Devontae Love-Taylor, I don't anticipate to be 100% because he had the knee injury so late in the year. Uh, if you're able to get anything out of him in the spring, that's icing on the cake. So really, I think this is going to be a lot of kind of experimenting with who fits in where, how much growth did guys make, especially these underclassmen, how much growth did they make from – uh, the last time we saw them playing in December, physically specifically, like Darius Washington seems to have put on some some good weight and muscle. Uh, it sounds like Murray Smith has lost a little bit of weight, but he lost some during the season, just hasn't quite put it on yet. Uh, curious to see what Dante Lucas looks like. Robert Scott is someone who the staff remains very high on. So, Chris, let's go into the, the offensive line and in your estimation. Like, what are you, what are you looking for? What do you think kind of shakes out this this spring? I think they have a plethora of guards, interior guys. You know, I think Maurice is still your center, obviously. You got Bavion, you got uh, Dante Lucas, you've got Thomas Schrader, you've got uh, Love Taylor when he comes back, can certainly play guard. I'm leaving out a guy, Brady Scott's guy, who seemingly had a pretty good time in the weight room. Definitely looks as though he's fully checked in for a guy who we thought may actually walk away from the team after last season. I think he thought he might walk away from the team late last season. Seems like he's fully committed to doing what he can in his final year as a Seminole. So they have a lot of options at guard. Robert Scott's going to hold down that right side. Left tackle is still a big question. You know, Mm -hmm. is Darius Washington's ability to get in the weight room and have the first real offseason he's had in at least three offseasons? How big is that going to be in his development? How much is these 15 practices going to benefit him? I think that's a huge question. Can he be the solution at left tackle? Or is this still a matter of they definitely have to get in the portal and get somebody that's plug and play that they can put there because that will kind of make the two deep better across the board on the offensive line. I think it's a mix of the two. You definitely want Washington to improve. I think Washington's a guy that people believe in within the program. But you also are going to probably need somebody to at least be there if he either A, doesn't improve enough to be the guy that you want to have at left tackle to be a higher level team or B, to at least back him up and be capable if he was to get banged up because offensive linemen get banged up naturally and he's a guy that's had a few issues. So that's kind of, you know, the I think that group as a whole has improved, certainly. I definitely think that group is probably under the best guidance of any assistant coach on the staff and Alex Atkins. Uh, it's coming along. It's 
feeling better than it has in a few years in the sense of going into a season and not being woe is loss with everything that's there. Mm-hmm. But left tackle is still a concern. And Darius Washington's part of that solution, but I don't think he's the only part of that solution. One aspect that that I'm encouraged by with, with Darius Washington, and you mentioned this, Chris, is that he hasn't had a full offseason at Florida State in which he's been healthy. And, and that just that doesn't only mean that you're rehabbing from an injury. It also means that you're not making progress and gains in the weight room uh, the way you would normally if you were healthy. You're not doing these hyper-focused rehab drills. You're just doing the, the strength stuff that FSU wants. He, he threw up about, what was it, like 525? It was at least 500 pounds squat the other day. Um, given that, like, he had the shoulder injury and, like, putting the, the bar on your shoulder, like, I know it's a, it's a lower body exercise, but to have the bar on his shoulder, and I don't think he's done that probably a ton in the last year or so, for him to be as strong as he was there, I think that gives you, like, okay, you can see there's a strength there. We see there's good footwork when he's confident in in himself on the field. So like there's in, in the game against Duke was frankly his against two NFL caliber defensive ends. It was his best game of his career. He gave up a sack and then kind of turned it on the rest of the game and, and didn't didn't allow anything and it was really good as a run blocker. So there's reason to be optimistic. I think it's just like is it now this spring like where he makes that jump to be someone that you're super confident in being the guy and locked down at left tackle or are we another like year away from that and, and we'll see i think the spring's going to be important in that regard couple numbers to point out on the o-line fsd used nine different offensive linemen com- combinations last year for 45 starts 44 of those 45 starts returned to this year's team fsd also has 11 freshmen and four sophomores among that group technically on the spring roster they have 11 freshmen four sophomores one junior two seniors and among the freshmen and sophomores, they have a combined 39 career starts and games at FSU. So the youth movement at that position is clear. The positive thing is that some of that youth looks like it's prepared to contribute at a higher level. One other thing, Bryson Estes, really, really strong. Really, really yeah. strong. I don't know I don't know how that translates over to the field right away, but he is strong. I think similar first year arc to Thomas Schrader, hopefully without the injuries. That's, That's kind of how I view Estes. Schrader is someone they like, but but they like Schrader because he's so smart and like they like legitimately he was learning three or four different positions last year. Thinking about that, they they allowed a true freshman to learn three or four different positions, and he got hurt a couple times before he was supposed to make his debut. Uh, Estes is like the straight like Schrader still has a way to go physically before I think you feel good about putting him out there consistently. Estes. One, the weight room numbers are super impressive. But then, two, he looks like a million bucks, like what you would want from a, a center or guard type of guy with his body and, and his his frame. Like he's he's three hundred pounds already. He's ready to go. We'll see technically where he is, but I I don't know. That may be someone to keep an eye on this spring if uh, if if the technique and and uh, just the IQ, the football IQ, were there for a freshman. I, I think he might be someone to watch. Woo! All right, moving on. Edge rusher. That was another. Big position of focus this offseason because they just had to get better at, at accumulating talent. They were losing Joshua Kando and Janarius Robinson. Both those guys had disappointing FSU careers but were still starters. So you had to replace them. They go ahead and add Jermaine Johnson, the Georgia transfer, Kier Thomas, get both of those guys as transfers into the locker room. That's a big deal. Uh, Chris, I'm trying to think of the question to ask you here. Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm on a Jermaine Johnson hype train run right now. We're we're all, we're buying. That's what I was going to ask. Are we uh, buying Jermaine I, Johnson? I'm in yes. on it. I, one, I think it's uber important. Two, I think he's a very productive kid who is here to prove something. 
I don't, a lot of times transfers transfer for a variety of reasons. In Jermaine Johnson's case, I think he transferred because he thinks he's SEC starter quality. And I think he may actually be. And I think he was just unhappy about how it played out at Georgia to some degree and went for an opportunity where it's going to play out better for him. And I think it's going to. I I think Jermaine Johnson's going to be the best defensive end FSU has had since Brian Burns. He and people hey, he's not going to be Brian Burns. Yes. Let me just make sure I make that clear. He's not going to be Brian Burns good. He's going to be the best they've had since Brian Burns. Some people, uh, when they first, like I saw on the message board quite a bit, when when Jermaine first committed to FSU, they're trying to compare his game to Brian Burns. Like he he's bendy and twitchy, but he's not Spider Man. Um, but he is bigger than Brian Burns. As you look at him, he just looks different than anyone else at that position group because he's so broad-shouldered he's like six foot five 260 pounds uh he, he looks like an nfl caliber defensive end and then when you watch him actually like bend and move like in the game film like all right that's that's something there and he's been productive too what do you have five sacks last year chris does that sound right yeah five sacks last year 11 quarterback hurries that was in seven games over 21 games in two seasons he had 36 tackles eight tackles for loss seven and a half sacks 15 quarterback hurries a forced fumble and two pass breakups. I, I as think a part-time he, starter too. He wasn't a full-time guy. Yeah. Yeah. I I believe he's going to be a big, 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 big piece for FSU. And I think he's a guy that's so crucial because if they have a pass rush, it changes the dynamics for everything behind that defensive line. It improves play for the linebackers. It makes life a lot easier on the secondary that's been picked on. It's such a crucial piece. And yeah, if we're going to look back, like say FSU messes around, wins seven or eight games this year, right? I think right now we're all thinking like well, probably six is just is more the sweet spot. Let's say you go ahead, you overachieve based on where most people are going to have you in the preseason. Jermaine Johnson probably has to be really damn good for that to happen. Like he's probably one of the four or five most important players on this uh, on this entire roster. Him and McKenzie Milton, I think. Um, yeah, he's, he's that important, I think. The rule is simple. On offense, you need guys that can light up the scoreboard. And this is away from the O-line because you need an O-line that's capable to allow your offense to operate. But ultimately, you need guys that can light up the scoreboard. Can that guy make a play individually that lights up the scoreboard? On defense, you need guys that can they get the ball back. And Jermaine Johnson's the kind of guy that between pressure creating fumbles, pressure creating bad passing opportunities for the opposition, or pressure creating interceptions for the defense can create that. So he's hugely important in that facet. So the other guys um, in that position group, Kier Thomas, I think he's going to be solid for them. I don't think he's going to be a, a huge game changer, but that's what he was at South Carolina. He was a solid, slightly above average replacement level starter in the SEC. That's welcomed, right? Like we're remember we're when team were running a train through FSU up front last oh, year, don't, just you running the ball. Run a train. Don't say running a train. Well, I meant in running the ball. Get your head out of the gutter. But, you know, when teams were doing that, Keir Thomas is an edge setter who you hope resolves that issue to some degree. He's a guy that you hope holds a spot, helps collapse the play, funnel runs to certain spots that can get filled in by linebackers and other defensive linemen. That's why Keir Thomas is here more than any other reason. Will he play Fox? You want to take that? Because I know how much you Whoa! enjoy <laughs> After that, though, it gets interesting and interesting in the sense, like, I think we kind of think the wide receiver group's interesting, like that you're hoping – your optimism is based in hope rather than like quantifiable, like, Hey, this is probably how it's going to shake out. Uh, now in the summer, you get George Wilson, Byron Turner, Patrick Wilson here. I think that's going to be big just to have those different body types and athleticism. Even if they are true freshmen, uh, you hope like much like with the wide receivers, like one of them pans out. But after that, man, I, 
don't know. It's going to be an interesting spring because it would be great if, like, say, Josh Griffiths has a, a really nice spring after, like, ups and downs as a true freshman or Quayshon Fuller puts it together or your boy Derek McClendon uh, bulks up and becomes a more complete player. I just – I don't know if we're going to see that or not. I think it's premature, so that's something that's going to be important to watch this spring. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, they list a guy like uh, – Jared Jackson at DN, but he's massive at this point. He's an interior guy. What's Dennis like Briggs three, is much three more ten, three ten now for for Jackson. I think, I think three eleven is what okay. they have him on the spring roster. So yeah, so he's not. Uh, playing he was like yet. he was so, like two eighty five or so when he got here. That's crazy. That DN group's going to depend on does one of those guys develop after the first two that we talked about. That would be great if two of them do. That's pretty huge. That gives you the two deep. You're comfortable with. You know, I think Griffiths can be similar to Thomas, a hold the edge kind of guy, sustaining. He's a pretty strong dude, and you don't want him barreling down because he'll over-pursue at times, at least last year he did at times. I think McClendon's more of your pass rush guy on the other side on the edge with uh, Jermaine Johnson. You mentioned – Hopefully Quayshon has a attitude for preparedness this year. That's better for him because way, I think last year he was disgruntled down the stretch and you don't want that. I hope that doesn't persist for him. It was interesting because the preseason, like he was getting hyped up like by the coaches, like as a, as the DN too, like he was going to be someone who factored into the rotation and kind of fell out of it. There's a couple of guys that happened to at different spots where they started the year in a pretty prominent role and just kind of fell off the face of the planet as if it, that's where having the spring and, and a full uninterrupted summer would have been helpful for evaluating things. Right. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it, it, it would be big if Quayshon puts it together. Like what, what was he a top one fifty player? I know he's definitely top two fifty coming out. I mean, Bama, Florida, FSU all legitimately want him. He was a high level player. I forget his ranking. I'm pulling um, I don't worry much about rankings once they get on campus, but two, Quayshon, two, two Oh two, right. And right in between. Quayshon's one of those guys. That I think when, it's going well. He's super engaged. And I think when it's not going great, it's tough for him to handle that. And that that's normal. That's maturity. That comes with time. And hopefully it's getting better for him because he is a talented guy. He is a capable contributor. And you mentioned Jared Jackson, Dennis Briggs are both listed at defensive end, but I think they're both played inside probably more than likely. But but same thing with like here, Thomas, those are guys that ideally you can maybe move around a little bit here and there too. Um, but that, I think Briggs is going to be one or two best D tackles. I mean, yeah, I, I, I yeah. projected him as like a backup in my depth chart, but the more I thought about it, I was like, no, nah, he he may very well start over Fabian Lovett because Fabian can play nose tackle or three tech, and you kind of use him as the main spell guy to Robert Cooper and and Briggs. I think they love Briggs, like his work ethic, who he is, his skill set. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah, he loves him. That, that's his type of guy. Briggs is a guy last year who, beyond all the other circumstances we talked about with the pauses and stuff, he opted out for some time because of a personal situation. And when that was resolved or at least concluded, he decided to come back. Um, so it's not like he had any – and he did try to do the best to keep himself in shape. He worked very hard on his own to come back prepared to contribute. But he had by far the most unique season of any guy that played for FSU, I think, last year in the sense of being able to prepare for it. He just – you know, he wasn't part of the team for basically two months during the season. And so. they threw they threw him into the fire too. Like his first week back was the UNC game. And he plays like twenty to thirty snaps. Durden got a current Durden got ejected, because um, yeah, because of targeting. So yeah, so he ended up playing a, a good deal. And and yeah, it was not always in the best shape, but I, I think that won't be an issue for him again. That that was just a tough ask to put him in. The rest of the defensive line group, and, and specifically the interior defensive line, Chris, I, 
someone else needs to step up because we have, I think, three that we feel good about. We know Robert Cooper is, Cooper is up to this point in his career. Maybe he takes a step up and goes from being like a good run stopper to a dominant force. It just hasn't quite happened yet, but he, but he is good. He's valuable. Uh, Fabian Lovett, again, maybe you see him take the next step as being someone who, who may have been their most consistent defense lineman by the end of the year. And, and for him to become a more impactful player, Dennis Briggs. After that, I don't know, we got Jarrett Jackson, True Thompson, who's been solid as a rotational guy. Malcolm Ray and then Joshua Farmer on campus, a true freshman. Yeah, I think Farmer's going to be good in time, but I don't know if he's ready for showtime year one, at least a lot of snaps. Um, plus, his body is still changing. He's very much moved from being a DN to a D-tackle as he's filling out that frame. After getting himself in much better shape, he's now kind of filling back in, um, but with a purpose. The guy who's spring I'm most interested in seeing beyond those guys who we expect to be major contributors is Malcolm Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm's one of those guys. He's kind of at the point. Is he going to be a guy that contributes here entering his third season, correct? Or is he a guy that's just here on scholarship? And he's someone else, like Chris mentioned, the Joshua Farmer physical trans. Uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Transformation, Transformation. buddy. Transformation. I was just, my, I, I I was transaction. That's why you should always drink coffee in the morning. I haven't had any coffee yet today. Uh, really, the the timing of the podcast just kind of. Anyways, coffee would have been good, and I was also thinking of another podcast I do with transactions. So too many podcasts, I think, is part of the issue. Uh, but but Malcolm Ray, what came in as a defensive end, so he's up to like I think two eighty seven now. So he's put on about twenty to maybe even thirty pounds since he arrived at FSU about two two years or two years or so ago. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if he comes, uh, if he jumps up and jumps into the defensive line rotation. There's certainly the potential to do so. There's snaps to be had. They need a fourth guy, at least ideally a fifth, to kind of emerge. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if he's that or not. We'll see. That'll be big for the spring for him. He kind of fits into that now or never category that uh that I'll be writing on later this week. Uh, let's look at linebacker, Chris. I I'll be honest. I kind of dig the linebacker group. I feel decent about it. I've, I've felt that way before and have been burned. So convince me otherwise. I feel decent. Well, last year I was trying to pipe them up as being the most improved group. And then they kind of disappointed in that regard. Maybe I was a year early. Maybe. I, mean, I, feel, I, I, I wish people could have seen your, your, I mean, I feel good about Gainer. Obviously. I think Gainer is going to be one of the main dudes on this team. Emmett Rice getting bigger is always a positive sign. You know what you got in Dixon Lundy, so that gives you four right there. You're probably only playing two most of the time, anyways. The the interesting thing is still that group of McCray, Deloach, and uh who's the third one in that bunch that I'm forgetting off the top of my well, head. Glenn left. Kevon Glenn would have uh, been in okay, that yeah, group. So, it would have been oh. the third. so it's McCray and Deloach. The interesting thing is does one or both of them kind of turn out? I think Deloach is a guy they were high on going into last season and then it just didn't work out in game situations in the sense of him being as prevalent of a player as maybe they hope. Hopefully that experience for Kalen has paid off with him, you know, being more prepared for the season. And he does perform to that level of what I think the expectation was somewhat set to last year. So if that's the case, you got five that you can really depend on at that position where you're only going to play two anyways. And I guess uh, Jam McCluster is someone who who played a lot toward, well, not a lot, but he played some at the end of the season. You know, that was a true freshman who wasn't quite in the the mix with Stephen Dix and DJ Lundy. Like maybe that's a guy to watch this spring as well. Uh, but I I do like Emmett Rice and Amari Gaynor quite a bit. I think Gaynor is probably going to be playing inside more. We saw that kind of towards the end of the last season where he was shifting into that role. But just based on everything that the coaches are saying, with like the and even recruits, like it just seems like there's like going to be a lot more emphasis at playing five defensive backs. That kind of made Amari the la- the 
the odd man out sometimes last season. And, and that can't happen again. You need to find a place for him to be on the field a majority of the time. Uh, and him transitioning to middle linebacker took some time last year. It wasn't happening as quickly as they would have liked for it to uh, because he started off the season playing stud, which is just an entirely different dynamic when you're playing in space or playing on the edge versus playing inside. But but if he has a smooth transition to there now with the offseason, the time to kind of add weight, which he has, he's up to 230 uh, to to process the game from that vantage point a little differently. It's much more much harder when you're inside a, a middle linebacker versus on the edge to see things. Uh, if that develops for them, that, that would be a huge, huge, huge boost for FSU to have him and Rice, and then you have the freshman coming off the bench. That'd be big time. Uh, Chris, I mentioned the stud position. I don't know if they're still going to call it stud. I don't know how it's going to – like how big of a shift it's going to be, but I think there's going to be a couple guys at the safety position who are going to be playing more of that nickel role this year, uh, maybe starting with Jamie Robinson, the transfer from South Carolina. Yeah, I think Jamie Robinson was specifically brought in for that. I think also last year the reason the stud became such a prevalent position was the injury to Hampson Aswami. Yeah. Yeah, man, they, that's funny. I was going back for some nerdy uh, NFL offseason GM league that I do, and I was I was scouting Hamsa, and it's like just how much they missed him with his intelligence back there, like what he did for everyone else to give them confidence. Uh, the defense looked so much better when he got in there. Um, so let's talk about the safety group. Obviously, Hamsa is gone. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. also gone at cornerback. So let's talk about the DBs with having to replace the two best players at, at their respective positions, maybe the two best players on the roster last year, to be honest, it's a toughie, but they bring in Jamie Robinson to help replace uh, someone at safety. They bring in Jarquez McClellan at cornerback. And they also bring in Brandon Moore from UCF at cornerback. Uh, I guess let's start. Well, there's so much we can talk about with the defensive back group. There's so many different variables and, and I think that's going to be a really fun position to watch, like where they play different guys, how they move different players, to different positions, who plays where, uh, but Brandon Marr and Jarquez McClellan, Chris, let's start with them. I assume one of them is going to push for a starting spot this year, if not both. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they brought in guys to make it a tougher competition for everybody. I, I think the idea is, you know, with the returning group, you have six DBs who come back who made 22 starts last year. One of those is Akeem Dent and uh, another one's Renato Green, each with five starts. They led that group that returns. So FSU has essentially eight returning defensive backs with some kind of game experience, including those that we talked about. Then you bring in McClellan, 24 games, 20 starts with Arkansas, had a pick, 59 tackles, plenty of SEC experience. More, 21 starts in his 27 games with the Knights. Super productive player before a pretty awful knee injury. Romson, a freshman all-SEC type guy at safety, a lot of experience there. So you're bringing in three guys with a boatload of experience, two from SEC programs, one from a program that was achieving at a very high level. Go ahead and have your moments known. A couple National years Champions ago. 2017. Sorry. So you've got that coming in with guys who were the guys you were leaning on last year. Guys, I know they like Miko Dotson. We know that. He was banged up last year, which was disappointing for them, but I think they feel like Dotson could be a pretty important piece. They really like Renardo Green. He got banged up mid-year and really never was himself the rest of the year and wasn't available for most of the stretch run. You know, he played, what, nine games last season? He played in five. Akeem Dent's a guy that we all know what he was supposed to be coming out of high school. He certainly hasn't been that at FSU. I don't think they're ready to wave the white flag on and give up, but it's pretty crucial time for him to show it if it's ever going to happen. So I think out of all the position groups we talked about, the competition at DB is going to be the most interesting because you got some veteran dudes with one year left, you know, McClellan and more, who 
aren't going to care what other people think. They're here to play and they're here to try to start. You got a guy like Robinson who I, despite having multiple years left, I don't think he's going to care much because he's a competitive son of a gun and he's kind of here to do something. I wholeheartedly think Robinson earns a starting spot. I think he's kind of a pigeonhole player. He's about the only guy on the roster who can do exactly what he can do. And I think they love what he can do. So I think he's a starter. The other spots, I think it's pretty wide open. I, you know, if I was laying money, I'd put some good odds on Dodson right now. I'd put odds on one of the two transfers winning a starting spot. So other guys better be ready to come in and perform. And then you also add Demory Tate to the mix, a guy who set out last year because of academic reasons. He was a highly regarded recruit. He was very raw coming out of high school in the sense of playing the position, but athletically he's off the chart. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of transition has he made from the high school to the college game while practicing just for a year instead of being able to play. And then like, just, I won't even ask all the questions and variables here, but just think about like, I'm going to throw out three or four of them, Chris, just to show you like what, why is this such a fun position to, to kind of consider and, and mull over and, and project forward to where do you put Travis J this year? Like he, he looked really good at star or stud or whatever it was at I the end of the year. Jay, you're right. Yeah. I, I think Jay's a safety. I think, if I was mapping it out right now, I think Romson, and I'm going to end up putting six DBs on the field probably with this, but <laughs> Romson, Jay, and Green, I think are three guys that they really, really like. And that's probably your your whatever we're going to call the Romson position and then two safeties. And I think Dotson's got a good chance of being one of your corners. That leaves a lot of bodies for the other corner spot. And he didn't and mention I think more Jarvis Brownlee. Transfer he didn't mention Jarvis Brownlee. I'm going to tag him in Twitter and let him know that you yeah. did not mention him. He, but he, he was really he solid. Before, before Jarvis yells at me, I think Jarvis is their starting nickel type. Yeah, when they decide to say we're going to go. I think he's a stud nickel type. I think yeah. he is bread and butter for that nickel type. So Honestly, that, man, that I kind of liked him a little bit better at the field corner spot late last year. Like I thought with his physicality, I know he's not the size you want, but like I kind of liked him playing in that space role and, and defending perimeter screens and being chippy. I liked it last year. That's all I'm saying. I thought he was a great option for that last year because the other options weren't performing. <laughs> that was part I think of it, he's too. A very, very good nickel player, though. Like I think he can be exemplary at that position and still get a lot of burn because they're going to play a lot of DBs in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like where do we where do we play Travis Jays? One question I had, I was gonna ask you, like, where does Jarvis Brownlee play? We had that discussion. Miko Dotson, I know you're high on him. I know the staff is high on him. He is he did get his knee cleaned up a couple months ago, so we'll see how ready he is to go this spring. They liked him a lot, and he never really got to play a ton last season because of the injury. Uh, and he showed some some glimpses, at least at, at times, he at least forced some difficult passes against UNC late in that game. Uh, but is he a nickel? Is he the field corner? Like, where does he go? Uh, we haven't mentioned Jerry and Jones yet. He's someone else. And Brendan Gant. I don't think we mentioned either of those guys. They both dealt with injuries at various points last year. Gant in the mid- beginning of the year. I think Jones throughout the year just wasn't 100% and struggled at cornerback. Where does Brendan Gant play? Do you put him at field what's, safety, strong safety? I don't know. What's the total number of DBs on the roster? Is it 16, 17? Uh, let's see. It's 17 minus uh, Cooper isn't here yet and Hunter Washington isn't. And Shaheen Brown isn't. So what, that 14? 14 guys. 14, yeah. 14, it will be 17. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, packaging galore. <laughs> yes. I, I think a guy like Gant to me is if you're playing a team where you need run support from the secondary or a guy to kind of enforce the middle downward, he plays. If you need a guy that's going to have to turn and run, he's not going to play over a Travis J. He's not going to play over a Renardo Green. 
not to say he can't turn and run. I just don't think he's as good as those guys at doing that. So I think it's all about what's the value of the player and where does he play best for you. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a decision made within last season and then played out in recruiting and especially in the transfer market of we're going to recruit a lot of DBs that can do a lot of different things. So we're going to play a lot of them. And I think the hope is that they can maximize the ability of each guy at their disposal. And, you know, and Akeem Dent leads that chart of guys that have to maximize what they are because he's yet to do that in his career here. Truthfully, he was dreadful last season. So mm -hmm. they need him to be better. So I think that's the hope with the secondary. I don't think it's so much they're going to get stuck on we're going to play these four or five or six guys. It's more we're going to play 10 to 12 and in the right spot ways. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's they, also going to be particular to opponents and what they do and what they can throw at you, what they can run at you. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so damn excited about this group, given what the past defense was last year, but I'm excited about this group and what it can be. Like I said at the beginning, I'm ready to be heard again. This group will be better if the pass rush is better. Uh, that's true. That that Those two do go hand in hand. Uh, Not to say chaotic. they were bad last year because the pass rush was bad. The pass rush was bad and the secondary was bad. Yeah. They were both bad last year. And the linebackers weren't very good in coverage either. Right. That's a toughie. <laughs> it's a yeah. toughie to be bad at every yeah. single level on defense. <laughs> And for a while there, it couldn't play run defense. So it was really a difficult <laughs> task for the defense to do anything well. So yeah, hopefully all of that improves. And there's why I'm not getting too hyped. <laughs> do we want to talk about special teams? I have no intention to, but Bob Ferrante listening to the RIP Bob. Just kidding. He's not dead. I've said that before. People actually thought he was dead. Bob's alive. Well, I mean, Alex is going to be the punter. We all agree on that. At he, would, point, he would die if we didn't talk about this, though. I mean, at this point... I expect Parker probably to be their kicker, but I think that again is a competition that's going to be ongoing with him and Fitz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, the that thing, I, I, the area where I want to see FSU make the most improvement on special teams this year is as a return team. Yeah, that was the disappointing bust and, because they had it in the beginning of the year. Remember? Like, yeah, and and talking to uh, JP Papuchas, Coach Papucha, special teams coordinator there were definitely times where they felt like they were real close on returns to having a big one at times during last season, but it never happened. And, you know, you got a guy like Travis Jay, who's a very talented athlete back there returning. You're going to have other options, maybe a Corey Ren if he's healthy. You got some guys who can do that. And that's obviously a place where you can swing games very quickly. I think it's very important for FSU to make a very big improvement there. I don't think they were bad in a scheme standpoint. They just didn't accomplish the task. That makes sense. Uh, it, guys just didn't look particularly explosive. I think getting some more explosive, like skill players, wide receivers specifically on the roster will help with that too. Uh, better injury luck at, at in the secondary. I mean, you mentioned, Chris, a couple of guys who were dealing with injuries this past year. I can go down the line. Renardo Green, Brendan Gant, Travis J, Miko Dotson, Jerry and Jones. So it's what, five or six guys right there who either missed significant time or were limited. Uh, I don't know if Akeem Dent was hurt or not. I don't know that. He didn't look like his normal athletic self, even if he wasn't a super comfortable playing at cornerback. He didn't look explosive like he did the previous year, even if he wasn't great at safety. Like, he at least showed that he was athletic. Um, so, yeah, there, there were injuries last year. Getting those guys healthy gives you options, like, to put Travis Jay there. Jamie Robinson is someone who was a dynamic returner in high school. Uh, Dotson they liked as a punt returner last year before he got hurt. So, yeah, we'll see. Got to be healthy, and uh, that should help. I, I think they can scheme up the return game. I'm not super worried about, about that aspect. I think that's a strength for this program. 
All right. That'll do it, I think. Anything else for spring preview? Nope. No, we're good. You want to say stick in the landing? Nope. Do you want to ask people for a five-star review? Sure. Throw five, five down, people. We five, love you. Five, five, five. Five. Do it for, for Zach. All right, Zach. all-star-studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.